Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message is One Star Reviews. One Star Reviews. How many of you love uh, reading reviews? Anyone in here, uh, like you're like a Yelp person, you are like, if it's got a review, you're like, let's read the reviews. And I would tell you that we now, we live in this culture where uh, virtually anyone can review almost anything. And we do all the time. And uh, I think it's great. I enjoy it. It's getting a little bit out of hand, though, because uh, the word anything there is really being anything, right? It's not just restaurants and barbershops anymore. People are reviewing everything, and you can get access to these things online. And if you have enough downtime, like I sometimes do, you Google these things and fall down a rabbit hole of, like, I can't believe these reviews for this thing exist. Do you know that you can actually read reviews of the Grand Canyon, the, the Grand Canyon has user reviews, right? I'm not talking about like the hotels around there or like, you know, the restaurants or like the rental shops. I'm talking about the actual natural wonder, okay? One of the undisputed natural wonders of the world has reviews that you can read, not by like geologists or, or people like photographers or people who specialize in beauty or whatever, just like, you know, some random person with an email address who decided to review the Grand Canyon. And there's a lot of one-star reviews. You would be surprised. And so obviously, we're going to have to read a few of these together because they're just too amazing not to. I just feel like it's the best way to, to start our day together. So one review, one review says this. We'll put them up here on the screen so you can see. Uh, walking up, not as much fun as walking down. False advertising. So puzzling to me for so many reasons. I feel like this is only could be valid if it was written by like an astronaut who had not experienced gravity in a really long time, who'd sort of forgotten how it works. Isn't everywhere... Couldn't you say about any place everywhere that walking up, not near as fun as walking? I mean, that's, that to me just seems so. And also, who is advertising that that is not true? How is it, the, is the Grand Canyon taking out ads being like, it feels like you're not even walking when you walk up out of me? That's not even a real thing. It doesn't make any sense. Here's another one that I found. Just a big, dumb ground hole. Put in a roller coaster and some dipping dot stands and we'll talk. No one cares about crack erosion. <laughs> there are so many things going on here. Wow. First of all, a millennial wrote this. We know that. That's safe. We understand that. Right? They're like, it's dumb. Like, give me some stuff. And I get it. I like dipping dots just as much as the next person. The last sentence is the one that really gets me. No one cares about crack erosion. I don't know what that means. I understand that, you know, first of all, I think we just need to determine, like, what does crack erosion mean to you? Which crack? Whose crack? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, what does it mean for it to erode? I might care about it. You know what I mean? I don't know. Just seems like a bizarre, a bizarre thing to say. Uh, here's another one I found. It says this. Depends on what donkey you get, Nina. 
Are you like me where you're just like, okay, who's Nina? Is Nina the person who wrote it where she's just like, you know, I'm Nina if you want to come talk to me. Is it that the, one of the donkey's names is Nina? If so, is it one of the good ones or the bad ones? Am I supposed to like try and get Nina or avoid Nina? Where are the don? Like, is it just, are we picking random donkeys? Is there a special donkey rental place? I don't understand, right? Um, here's another one. It says this. Decent view, but I lost my favorite pants. Will not be back. Loved those pants. Loved. This one feels like it's on you, buddy. I don't, I don't feel like you can blame, blame the Grand Canyon for this one. How does you, like, a mistake you made should not reflect poorly on something that God made. I just, I don't feel like that's fair. And yet these are, these are out there. These exist. I love the idea of someone, like, being really excited to go to the Grand Canyon, and then they read these reviews, and they're like, well, we can't go now. <laughs> you know, I can't go based on that. Why not? I heard it sucked, man. That's what I heard. The Grand Canyon? Yeah, people are losing pants. You can't get a good donkey. I mean, it's all, there's all sorts of problems with that place. And although it seems absurd, I can picture it happening. Some of you are like, I feel like I know a guy who would not go to the Grand Canyon based on these reviews, right? Even though we don't know the people who left them, even though like we, we can't really like verify this information, there's something about it that like was like, oh man, it gives us a little bit of pause. And I think it really is staggering how much stock a lot of us put in hearsay. We do as individuals, we do as a culture, I wonder how often you have asked someone like why they made a certain decision and their whole reasoning began with, well, what I heard was, right? And it's just, it's just something that they read somewhere, right? It's an unverified opinion. It's something that got passed along to them by someone else. Maybe someone they do know, maybe someone they don't know, maybe a person they do know that like that person isn't really all that reliable. And you know, maybe, you know, you are not that type of person who, you know, makes key decisions based on rumors, but it is really hard not to, you know, lean in and listen and pass these things along. And not even necessarily because they're accurate, just because they're interesting and entertaining. And that is how the human brain works, right? We want to pass along things that we find interesting, entertaining, funny, shocking, um, these are the things that we tend to want to circulate. And sometimes it takes us further from what is actually true about something. And sometimes it dissuades us from actually having an experience that could be incredible because of a review, of a review that is not credible. And I think it's one thing to do this with places, but it's another thing to do it with people. And I think we do this all the time. I wonder if you've ever had someone confess to you that before they got to know you, they were convinced they wouldn't like you because of something they'd heard about you. Has this ever happened to you before? And, you know, and of course, like, you know, that's a weird confession to hear and you're, you're, you're sort of torn. 
you know, and um, because you're you and you're curious, you're just like, okay, <laughs> that's crazy. What did you hear, right? And immediately you need to know what they heard that sort of swayed them away from you. And then they told you, and then they were just like, okay, I, I, but like, here's the thing. You're not, you're not like that at all, okay? I was totally wrong. They were wrong. It was wrong. And you have a little bit of relief that like now, you set them straight and they kind of know you for who you really are and not for who you've been rumored to be. But also there's another part of you that starts to wonder like, who said that about me and why? And also, is this the sort of stuff people say behind my back? Is everybody talking about me? How many people are there? Like how rampant are these ideas out there about me? And will I ever get a chance to actually sit down with these people face-to-face and straighten out the misunderstanding they have about who I am at my core. One of you have ever gotten the feeling that everyone is talking about you and like not in a good way. Maybe not everyone, everyone, but like everyone in a particular orbit. You know, you notice that people start acting a little bit differently around you. Everyone gets quiet when you walk by. Isn't that creepy? Like people are talking and you come in, you're like, hey, hey, <clears throat> hey guys, and everything's all weird. And you're like, you guys were just having a conversation that you don't want me to know about, but you don't say that. But you wonder about it. You ever get the feeling that like everybody you're sitting around a table with is on a text thread that they didn't invite you to? And that's what all like the little laughs and inside jokes are about. And you're just like, <laughs> I'm not one of the cool kids, which is weird because you're 50 now. It feels weird that you still have that like lunch, you know, table isolation syndrome. And I think it's even worse if this is happening to you and you can't think of a reason why, right? There's, you're just like, what did I do? Like, what happened? I don't know. And no one will tell you. And part of your brain is just like, you're being paranoid. People are not talking about you. People are not thinking bad things about you. But then there's another part of your brain that insists that like something has to be going on because people were acting weird and you were feeling like you were on the outside. And you're not really sure what to do with that information. And I, this, I think this is a, a question that's good to wrestle with because sometimes we are being paranoid, right? Some of us get a little too in our heads about what other people think and feel about us. But what... What do you do if everybody actually is talking about you? Like, what do you do in those sorts of circumstances? Because that actually happened to a guy in the Old Testament and who probably didn't deserve it, at least at the time. And I want to just read this and make some observations about like our world, because I think our world, this ancient world and our world aren't as different as maybe sometimes we assume that they are. This story is found in the book of Exodus chapter 16, and it is about one of sort of the, the most famous and credible leaders of the Israelite people, Moses, who sort of freed the people from slavery and um, one of the fathers of our faith. And this is what the story says. Verse 1, chapter 16, it says, The people of Israel journeying into the wilderness of sin, which is a real place but sounds like a metaphor, right? Anybody ever journeyed into the wilderness of sin before? Verse 2, it says, There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. It's like his brother slash assistant. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat, and we ate all the bread we wanted. 
Unlimited breadsticks is an amazing, so I get that there's part of this I understand. But now you've brought us to this wilderness to starve to death. Now, there's a, a lot of things that we can observe about this little passage that we just read. The first thing I want you just to note for you is that it really doesn't matter who you are or how amazing you are, you're gonna get some bad reviews. I think you should just make peace with that right now. Some of us think like, man, if I, you know, maybe if I just do things right or I can make everybody happy or there's a way to make everyone like me and I can get five-star reviews on my personhood throughout life. You're in a dream world or probably on drugs, okay? That's not possible. Like, I don't care if you're Moses who just led the people of Israel out of generations of slavery by proving he's best friends with God and working miracles in front of people that changed their future or... If you happen to be the Grand Canyon, the undisputed, one of the seven wonders of the natural world whose beauty is proclaimed far and wide, some people are still gonna gripe. It's just the way people are. And the crazy thing here about this story is it's not just like one or two bad reviews here. It says the whole community is complaining. Thousands of people, the whole community, and not to them, but about them. That's got to feel a little overwhelming. Also, I don't know if you caught this, but this is not the first time either because the, the, the passage starts with, there too, the whole community complained. In other words, they got a track record. These people are complainers. They gripe about a lot of stuff all of the time. It's sort of their thing. They've been talking behind people's backs for a while. And why are they doing it this time? Why are they talking bad about Moses and Aaron? Because God did something that the people are blaming them for. They didn't even do anything, which they make a point of later, probably in a high-pitched voice, because that's how you do when you're getting defensive. And I I think this happens a lot. I think it, it happened then. I think it's just part of human nature, right? People want a person to blame for a situation they don't like. And so when you can't really locate that, often you pin it on the closest person you know to that situation, even if that person is also a victim of the same situation. And sometimes we don't do the math on that. You ever go off on someone who's actually in the same boat as you? I remember during the, the middle of like the, the you know, coronavirus lockdowns, like towards the, the beginning of it, I remember going to the grocery store, and this was back like, you know, when you went to the grocery store and you had like rubber gloves and the mask and all the things and you had everything in the car so that you could give like, you know, your cheese and eggs a bath before you brought it in the house. And I remember going to the grocery store and hearing yelling from a couple aisles over. And so like naturally I went to, to check it out and uh, walked over there and this lady was just going off on this like assistant manager, just yelling at him because, you know, they didn't have certain things in stock that she wanted, and she thought that this whole situation was stupid, and they didn't like that, like, the, the limited hours they were open, and that she had to wear a mask, and all this sort of stuff, and she was going off on him, and he was just sort of there, like, taking it, and when she finished saying her piece, it, 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 he got quiet, and I'm just like, what is gonna happen? Is this guy gonna punch her? Like, what is going down? And I mean, I had my phone ready to record. I wasn't gonna intervene, but I was gonna tape it for YouTube, so I felt like that was the right thing to do, And all he did was he just goes, I'm sorry. I hate all that same stuff too. 
I don't own this business. I didn't make any of those decisions. I'm a low-level manager. And if I didn't show up today, there would be no one to help you. I think we do this a lot, right? We, we, we pick a person to sort of channel our aggression to, and that person is actually experiencing the same thing that we are. But we need somebody to blame. And that's sort of what's happening here. The story goes on to say this, Exodus chapter 16, verse four. The Lord said to Moses, look, I, lo- I love that it starts that way because it feels very much like somebody trying to problem solve and calm people. Look, look, okay, look. Look, I'm gonna rain down food from heaven for you. And then he just moves on. What a weird thing to say and just move on to the next sentence, right? Wait, 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 time out. Go back to the other thing you just said. Rain down food, that's an option. Why haven't we been doing this all along? That sounds amazing. Each day the people can go out and pick as much food as they need for that day. Verse six, so Moses and Aaron said to the people, by evening, you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he had heard your complaints, which are against him, not us, just FYI. He actually says that. Making it clear that like, you guys aren't even mad at me and you don't even realize it. You're just taking it out on me and it feels unfair. Also, if I'm Moses, I'm annoyed by this response from God. Are you serious, God? I'm not gonna tell him that. We're just gonna reward the complainers? The people that are throwing a fit, we're just gonna be like, hey, don't throw that fit. Here's everything you wanted. God, this is a bad idea. I mean, I... I haven't taken a lot of child psychology classes because they haven't been invented yet, but it, it feels like we're reinforcing the wrong sort of behavior here. I'm not really sure if this is the road we want to go down. I mean, I'm, I'm not God, but I mean, I feel like this is maybe not the best sort of thing. Now, I want to be clear here about, about one thing because I think there's a word that's been used in this passage that I think can be misunderstood. The word complaint here is used over and over and over again, right? In some form or another, in this passage, it's like seven to nine times. And, you know, maybe part of you is thinking like, okay, I get that complaining is frustrating, but if something is not right and no one complains about it, how will anyone become aware of it and be able to address it? And that's actually a really good point, you know, and you're right. But these people aren't bringing up a concern directly to anyone who can do anything about it. It's actually Moses who intervenes because he overhears what's taking place. These people in this story aren't bringing concerns to Moses. They are complaining about Moses to any and everyone that will listen besides Moses. Moses has to like hide behind a tent or a bush and be like, what, 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 what are they saying? What's going on? Aaron, have you heard anything? What are people saying? And that's how he discovers it. And I wonder if you have ever done this before. I have. I think we all do. There's a word for it. Gossip. Right? We don't like to call it that. Usually when we do something that we know is bad, we're like, let's give it a different name so it sounds better. Because I do that one. Let's leave the harsh names for things I don't do as much. Then we can demonize other people, but not me. But that's what this is. And just to be clear, I want to just give you a definition of what this word actually means. Gossip 
is negative talk about a person who isn't present. Negative talk about a person who isn't present. And it is hard not to do because it has some benefits. Have you noticed this? It's enjoyable. Ever learn something interesting, juicy or surprising, and you had this impulse of like, who can I tell? Who can I text? I gotta tell somebody. I cannot keep this to myself. Do I know if it's true? I have no idea. Is it negative? Is it slander? Probably. That's why I'm only gonna tell five people. Seven max, okay? You ever felt like the warm rush of comfort when somebody else validates your outrage about something? You're like really mad and you're like, isn't that just ridiculous? And they're like, it is. And you're like, oh my God. We just <laughs> Ever like deeply bonded like with someone else based on the fact that you both hate the same thing or person? Most of us don't want to admit this, but we do it, right? You're like freaking Steve. And they're like, right, Steve's the worst. And you're like, oh, we both hate Steve. Oh my gosh, we're gonna be close. I can feel it. We're gonna be friends. Oh, what things do you hate about Steve? Oh, too many to mention. Mention a few of them. There's something about it, right? It's why we keep doing it because we get some sort of a high from it. And I maybe mean, when I was talking about, you know, harsh online reviews or trashing, you know, figureheads. Um, because, you know, you're projecting your frustrations onto them or passing on rumors that you really can't confirm. Maybe none of that stuff, you know, really hit home for you because you're like, I don't really do any of that. So this message is definitely about my spouse, but not me. And so I appreciate you talking to where, you know, she's at right now. But what makes, I think, this definition of gossip so hard to swallow is that it includes a whole other category that can't help but hit close to home. Because here's the reality. It's hard not to talk negatively about people who've hurt you personally. Like, sure, like, I'm not gonna talk bad. I mean, I'm like not a whore. Like, I'm not gonna just like pick somebody. I don't jump on, I don't pile on to celebrities and political, I don't do that whole thing. I don't pass on a rumor about somebody I don't know. But like, I will say some stuff about somebody who did something to me. It's tough. The impulse rises up in you. It's hard not to talk negatively about somebody who's hurt you personally, who said or did something that directly wounded you, that damaged a piece of you, that took something from you, that limited the options in front of you. And sometimes you don't even mean to. Sometimes you're intending to dissect the situation, but you just end up trashing the person. Has this ever happened to you? I wonder if you've ever done that where you, like, you sit down to dinner and it's gonna be great, and you're just like, oh, I love Mexican food, and you're on your, your third basket of, of chips and salsa, and you're just like, we'll just take the food to go. And they ask you, they're like, so, you know, how are things going? And you're just like, you think of things you wanna say, but you're like, I'm not gonna go there, and you're determined to keep the conversation on the level of just like basic facts and like your personal feelings, but before you know it, you find yourself just getting caught up in trying to convince the person across from you that whoever it was that recently hurt you is undoubtedly a completely narcissistic idiot who deserves to rot in hell. And it just sort of happens. You didn't intend to go there, but they got you going on it and they started asking a couple of decent follow-up questions. You're like, ah, and I'll tell you, and another thing. And it's just all out there and you're piling on. 
You know the crazy thing is? When you're done, you never feel as good as you thought you would. You ever notice that? We have this weird thing in our minds that tells us like, you know, if I could just get it out, if I could just like vent it, if I could just say it, then it would be like, I would, it was like I would purge the poison and then I would just, I would feel better. Everything would be okay. But that intuition is completely incorrect and not just based on experience, but based on actual research. Studies actually show that gossip doesn't release negative feelings, it reinforces them. It doesn't purge them to get them out. It actually makes them stronger. It's like giving them a workout. It's like injecting them with steroids. It's doing the opposite of often what we intend to do. I think this is part of why the Apostle Paul gives so much advice about this in the New Testament. Like this one passage he writes to some early Christians in Philippi. He writes this letter to them. And this is the advice he gives, which is to them, but also for us. He says in Philippians 2, chapter 14, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. In other words, other people are going to do it differently. It's not hard to find people who complain and argue about everything. That, if you're gonna be my follower, that's not how we do it. We don't live that way. Like, and it'll be noticeable. It'll be like, who's that bright light, right? It'll be obvious. Now, if you're like me, the, the triggering word here is everything. You're just like, that feels a little extreme. I don't know. Maybe just like give it a, a try with training wheels. Maybe start there, Paul. But I think it does beg the question of like, what does he mean by complaining and arguing? Right, because we have modern interpretations of these words, but what do the words that he's actually using mean if we go back to the original language that he's speaking in? I'm gonna just give you some definitions. Like when Paul says this, this is what he is saying and what the people that are reading this originally are hearing. The word complaining here means nursing secret displeasure in your thoughts, speech, attitudes, and actions. Nursing. It could be that thing of just like, it's, it's a baby and it might die, but feed it thick whole milk and watch it grow. That's sort of the image here. It's like when you're upset with someone, but instead of working it out with them, you vent about it to everyone but them. And so when it says like that it's a, a secret displeasure, it's really only a secret to the person that you're upset with. Because everyone else is like, yeah, we've been hearing about it forever. I wonder if this has ever happened like to you in reverse. I wonder if you have ever sort of come into the realization that you are the last person to know that a particular person has a problem with you. And then finally, it, you kind of get wind of it and you're just like, hey, and you like, you know, you ask somebody, you're like, is this whatever? And it's like, oh yeah, everybody knows about that. And you're like, I didn't. And I should, right? It's about... Me? That's complaining. That's what complaining does. Instead of actually addressing and dealing with it, it just sort of like fosters, it replays that thing over and over again to everyone but the person you could work it out with. The word arguing here doesn't mean disagreeing. That's what we would, might think it means in our culture. But it actually means um, deliberately questioning, doubting, or speculating on someone's true motives, thoughts, or reasons. 
Like, this is sort of when you get into the frame of mind that, that no matter what they say or do, you're pretty sure they're up to something selfish and sinister. Like, your default uh, is assuming that you are being taken advantage of and that no one can be trusted and that no one deserves the benefit of the doubt. This is the definition of arguing, or sometimes it's interpreted as grumbling. And this can lead us to really dark places. This can not only mutate us in the way we see the world, but it can actually destroy people's reputations. It can destroy friendships, communities. It can sway people from actually getting to know people that maybe God has put in their path for a particular purpose. And so what are we supposed to do? Right? I mean, are we just supposed to avoid conflict altogether? Like, not just never bring up disagreements, you know, because confrontation is bad. It's unchristian, okay? <laughs> I mean, if you really loved people, you would mostly see everything in the universe the same exact way and have pretty much zero conflict and always get along and feel happy. Okay, so you must just be a horrible Christian and not love Jesus. No! That is terrible advice. And it's nowhere near anything that God actually asks of us. God doesn't want us to avoid conflict. Instead, he actually says something that feels almost like the opposite. Listen to this. Instead, what God points us to in all of Scripture is that when someone disappoints or hurts or annoys or offends you, don't complain about them. Have a conversation with them. This is the advice that comes up over and over again in the Old and New Testament. Why? Because in the mind of God who created human beings understands how we are and how we're going to bump into one another. In his mind, conflict is inevitable, but complaining is a choice. And so you are going to bump into people and you're not going to agree and they're going to rub you the wrong way and you're going to get things twisted and you're going to misunderstand things that happen. The conflict is inevitable, what you do with it is where your choice comes into play. And a lot of us would much prefer to just complain than confront. I think if we actually followed the instructions of Jesus, some of us would actually have a lot more conflict in our life. But you know what you'd have less of? Drama. Not the same thing. Drama is like this underpinning thing that complaining and arguing stirs up where we feel nonstop tension around things that like we all know, but we're pretending not to know because we just can't actually have a real conversation about it out in the open. And Jesus actually gives some pretty detailed instructions about how to handle moments like this. Let me read you something from Matthew 18, verse 15. I'm gonna read from the message. Paraphrase, it says this. If, this is Jesus talking, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell them. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. And if he won't listen to the church, you're gonna have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. I think this is one of the, like, the most misinterpreted verses. You ever read sections of the Bible, like you read it according to what you want it to say, not according to what it actually says? 
This is a, a big temptation, which is why we do things like we did this summer of the like how to read the Bible class, because we want to give you the tools to avoid that tendency that we all have. And I think a lot of times our tendency is to read this passage the way we want to. Like, you know, if someone hurts your feelings, go to them and force them to agree with you. And if they do, they're a friend, okay? But if they have a different perspective on the situation, keep bringing back more and more people who only agree with you and try and gang up on them until they cave in. And if that doesn't work, excommunicate them and shame them forever. I actually grew up thinking that that's what this verse meant. And it couldn't be farther from what Jesus is actually trying to get at. The big idea here is to sit down with someone face to face and if that doesn't go anywhere because you're both too worked up, you don't pull in your enforcer. You pull in a level-headed mediator that can help you hear one another. That, that's what he's saying here. I love that he says, pull in another person to keep things honest. Because you know what goes out of the window when you are fired up about something? The truth. Honesty. Because at one point, at some point, it's like, I don't really care what's real. I care about being right. And we need somebody else in the room, not just to get them to hear us, but to get us to hear them. Sometimes we're convinced somebody's sinned against us and we get into the room with them. We're like, oh, that wasn't actually sin. I just didn't, I didn't get what was happening there. I was complaining and arguing and I turned it into something that it wasn't in my head. I'm glad we sat down together. We really avoided a mess. The emphasis here is on love and understanding and reconciliation and reconnection. And it all starts with a conversation. Because I think the thing that Jesus wants us to understand is that in, in reality, talking about people makes me more angry, but talking with them brings us both clarity. Like when we talk around about people to other people, we just sort of reinforce our frustration and our anger. When we talk with them, we get clarity. Sometimes the clarity is actually what we're avoiding with the complaining. Because sometimes the clarity that we're gonna get is that like we're not gonna agree and we need to maybe establish some boundaries here. We don't wanna have to deal with that. We don't have to actually work out. Sometimes the clarity we're gonna get is that we're the ones in the wrong I don't want to find that out. I would rather live in my own ignorance where I am right about everything. That feels better. And some of us, you know, when we hear this, it's not like, like new news to us. You know, we already know that we need to be more direct about how we think and feel, but we're so conflict avoidant. Just the idea of talking to someone about something we're frustrated about gives us a pit in our stomach. We imagine how awkward and uncomfortable that it's going to be, and so we just, we bail on it. And instead, we grumble and complain and avoid the person, or we stuff it deep down inside until it becomes unbearable, and then we blow up on them, and they have no idea what hit them. Not super effective. If healthy relationships is what you're going for. Some of us, honestly, are at the other end of the spectrum, right? We're like, Psh. Not me, I'll talk to anyone about anything at any time. I don't care. I'll tell you exactly what I think, all right? I will hold nothing back. People just don't come to me. I don't know why. Weird. And I would just tell you, like, it, it, you know, you're like, I must be easy to get along with because no one ever comes to me with anything that they're frustrated about. I would say if it's been a while since anyone has confronted you about anything, I would suggest that this sometime this week, you ask those people close to you, 
am I easy to talk to when I've done something to hurt you? Oof. And then if you want them to tell you the truth, you're going to have to not be reactionary when they say some things that you don't want to hear. They're going to tiptoe in. Oh, you know, maybe sometimes. It's, you know, about what, you know? They're sort of backing away from you on the couch. <laughs> sometimes, I mean, some, with some, sometimes with some things, you know? And they're going to they're, they're watch and see what you do. Like, oh, you know, tell me how. Or like, what things? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it was in my bad. I thought, I thought you were someone else. Sorry. But I would tell you, honestly, regardless of what side of this equation that you're on, learning how to have conversations God's way is, isn't always all that comfortable. And I, what I think is interesting is Jesus knows this, but he tells us to do it anyway. Because Jesus seems to believe that what feels good to me is much less important than what is good for us. And so Jesus, like, tells us, encourages us to actually push into the uncomfortability, the awkwardness of conversation and confrontation. Because even if it doesn't make me feel good in the moment, it, it's going to take us and our relationship somewhere good in the long run. Maybe you're thinking like, well, what if I've already talked to them like five times and they're not getting it, or they don't want to. It might be time to give them permission to be different from you and love them from a distance on that particular issue. Sometimes that's what we do need to do in situations. We don't ghost people without a conversation, but sometimes there's a time where we are just like, you know, I don't know that it's good for us to like, like all, just be rehashing the same thing over and over again. Like, I just, I wanna give you space to, to, to sort of be you and, and acknowledge that like, this is like a tense thing for us. I don't know that we're gonna solve between the two of us. I will tell you that attempting to live this way Attempting to do everything without complaining or arguing is not easy. And I think that's why the Old Testament King David prayed this. Psalm 141, verse three. He asked God this. He says, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And what he's saying is like, God, you know me. You know how I am. You know, like I'm gonna wanna just talk about people instead of talking to people. You know I'm going to steer towards the negative. You know I'm going to jump to conclusions. You know I'm going to complain and argue. I don't want to be that person. And I don't always catch myself. And so God, I just want to, I want to put it in my head and on my radar. And I want to invite your power to sort of guard my mouth and to keep watch over the things that I say and the way that I say them, because I need your help in this area of my life. Aren't you glad that there are people in your orbit who instead of listening to the negative rumors that are floating around about you, instead of buying into the one-star reviews that people are giving about you, and here's the reality, we've all got them. Some of us, we, you know, you may have to scroll a little bit to the bottom, but they're there. Aren't you glad that you have certain people in your life that instead of buying into that, they did something different. They were willing to suspend judgment, to get to know you up close, to give you the benefit of the doubt, to fight for clarity in your relationship. 
I wonder if you think about your life, like where would you be without these people? Who would you be? Not you. And here's what I think all of this is saying, what Jesus is saying. If you wanna be my follower, then it is your destiny to be one of these people, to be someone that when people think about you, you are a bright light in their life. That when you look at, when people look at you, that they think like, man, I mean, they know, they've heard, they've read the press, but they didn't let this one moment or that mistake or that burst of anger or that stupid decision shade everything about me. Instead, they, they saw me for me. They, they looked at everything that makes me, me, and they chose to fight forward, to instead of talk about me, to talk with me so that we could have a relationship where we see one another and make each other better. I think that is the greatest destiny that you could live out. That's the greatest legacy you could leave. The temporary high that you'll get from living the other way is never worth it. It's only with God's help that you can sustain it. I want to do something today as we close out our service that's a little bit different. Um, when you came in, there's a little uh, snack pack on your chair. Some of you didn't know what it was, so you already ate it. Um, that's okay. It was an honest mistake. But this is actually um, just a prepackaged communion kit. And I want us to take communion. I wanted us to do it specifically today after this particular message because of all the things that sort of rip us apart, all the misunderstandings and frustrations and high horses we can get on that sort of pull us apart from each other, communion is a thing that brings us together. Because you know what this does? This is an admission that I'm not perfect. <laughs> I make mistakes. I don't always see things the way they really are. I sin against other people just as much, if not more, than they sin against me. Like, I need God's help to be the person that I'm meant to be just as much as everybody else. That, like, there are times when I think, like, I'm better than somebody else. But when I take communion, I'm reminded that I need the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the guidance of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life just as much as everyone else. And it is the collective admission of that that unifies us as a community. And today I want us just to take communion with that knowledge, that awareness. As we take the, the, the bread substitute, the wafer together, I want you to think about the fact that you, like everyone else, needs God's help, his intervention in order to live his way. Would you take the bread with me? Next, we have the, the juice that represents the blood of Christ that covers over all of our sin. This is why we extend forgiveness and the benefit of the doubt, second chances to other people because it's what God has done for us. We don't give people necessarily what they deserve. We give them the thing that we got and didn't deserve, an extension of, of, of Christ. And 
Maybe you have a situation with somebody else that, that really needs the blood of Christ to cover over. Maybe because there's two of you involved at least, there's some things that needs to cover over in you and there's some things that needs to cover over in them, but we all find ourselves on an evil play, even playing field at the, the foot of the cross. Would you drink this juice with me? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, we live in a culture where we have full permission to say whatever we want about whoever and wherever we want. We're invited to put our opinion out into the world. And a lot of us have written and read a lot of reviews, and, and some of those reviews are about people. Some of those reviews are about people that we have written off or that we've passed along. Some of us have bought into the negative reviews that have been written or spoken over us. And God, this moment today is a reminder that the, the real review that matters is the one that you give to us, the one that you imprint on our lives. And when we place our, our faith and our hope and our trust in you, you place your stamp of approval and forgiveness on us. And God, we can echo and reflect to other people what has been given and awarded to us. And God, I pray that we would be people who instead of talking about others, we seize the opportunities to talk to others, that we enter into conflict to diminish the drama around us that we open up conversations that are difficult and we go in to listen as much as to share, that you enable us to see and hear the other person in front of us. And God, that when we are behind the scenes, that we wouldn't spend time talking about and obsessing about the negative, frustrated, suspicious things about other people, but God, that, that we would bring those things to one another. And God, when we're not with others, may you give us the ability to think of them through your eyes, through your grace-filled heart. And God, may that be the disposition that we carry with us. May we be a bright light in a corrupt and perverse world with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.